0: Hear now the word of the Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's he makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that as we we dig into this minor prophet, as, as we study the words of Habakkuk, we would see Jesus. Would you give us Jesus this morning, Father? Help us to To believe in Him and to to treasure Him and trust Him with all that we have. God, would you open our ears and our hearts to hear the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection this morning. And as our kids go to their classes, would they hear the good news of Jesus too? Would you open their hearts to receive the gospel, to trust in the Savior, and to follow Him all of their days? We ask that you be glorified in our gathering. We thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, church. As we uh, dive into the book of Habakkuk, I want to ask you a a question to start off. Have you ever uh, doubted God? Have you ever doubted God? Have you ever had a a moment, for sure, a season of your life, a time period of your life where you have uh, doubted God's power, where you've doubted his goodness, where you've maybe even doubted his existence? Have you ever doubted God? I would imagine that uh, for most of you, uh, you've likely gone through some type of season like that in your life. Uh, If you haven't, I'm guessing that you probably will face that at some point in time. And for many of you that walked in here this morning, I bet you walked in the doors right smack in the middle of a season like that, where you're questioning God, where you're unsure of him, where you're, you're doubting him. And we live in a world that is just full of pain and brokenness and evil and injustice and suffering, don't we? We got a, a stark reminder on the news yesterday out of El Paso and just this morning, if you haven't seen already, another shooting in Dayton, Ohio. And it's a reminder to us of the evil, the hardship, the pain that is, is in our world now. I wish, coming here this morning, that on a beautiful August morning, right? It's August 4th, the sun is shining, it's a gorgeous Northwest day. I wish that I could paint a rosier picture of our world. But the reality is that that as much as our world, and the Northwest in particular, is filled with this natural beauty, it's filled with relational beauty, it's filled with all kinds of evidence of God's goodness and His grace all over the place, equally true is that we live in a world that is just filled with unspeakable horrors, unspeakable suffering and hardship and struggle. This week I was reading uh, just online, uh, just the front page of the Tacoma News Tribune online. Here's just just a a scattering of the headlines. 16-year-old boy shot on his front porch in Tacoma has died. Pierce County partygoer blinded after being smashed in the eye by a jar. Before he shot up South Hill Mall, how many of you knew that happened a couple weeks ago? Shooter in South Hill Mall. Uh, burglar set his boss's house on fire. Now, that's just our local paper. That's one week out of 52 in a year. We look out on a world, whether it's the 21st century or whether it's all the centuries that have come before, we we look out on a world where countries go to war, where dictators massacre their own people, where terrorists blow up buildings, where there just are incredible atrocities that happen every day. There's this world that we look at is full of evil and injustice. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? And all of that is, is just out there, right? It's, it's often disconnected from us. It's in the newspapers. It's on the websites. It's, it's, it's out there. More often than not, evil and injustice in a different way are actually personal realities for us. We're not just wrestling with things out there, but we're, we're wrestling with stuff that affects us, right? Relationships fracture. Uh, family members get diagnosed with sicknesses. We face fear about our futures. Now, all of this presses in on us, and we go through these seasons where we just wonder, where, where's God at in the midst of this? We look at our world, and it, it just doesn't make sense. What, 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 what's God up to here? And we go through these seasons where he seems distant to us, he seems dark, he seems disconnected from us. And so we doubt, right? We, we doubt his power, we doubt his goodness, sometimes we even doubt his, his existence, have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I think whether you're a Christian or not, in this room this morning, on some level you've, you've probably wrestled with this tension. And for some people, that, that just derails them, right? You, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably had friends that have gone through seasons like this, or faced hardship, or just looked out at the atrocities of our world, and it's just derailed their faith, right? They've just checked out of faith because of it. So the question for us is, how do, how do we as a people, how do we look out at this world that's filled with this kind of stuff and in the midst of that, hold on to faith? How do we walk through this world that's filled with evil and injustice and suffering, a world where that's going to touch every one of us in this room on some level? How do, we, how do we walk through that and still hold on to God in the middle of it? Well, that that question is actually the exact question that the book of Habakkuk answers for us. And I I think Habakkuk's story that we're going to go through this morning is just massively helpful for us. This book really meets us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of the weakness of our our faith, and it meets us with an honesty about the, the trials and challenges of the world that we live in, but it meets us as well with an incredible hope. And so I'm excited for us to to unpack this book this morning. We are, if you don't know, in the middle of a a series that we're doing this summer through nine of the 12 minor prophets, this section of our Bibles that most of us don't touch very often. If you struggled finding the book of Habakkuk this morning, uh, don't worry about it. Most of us do, right? We, We don't navigate this section of scripture often. As we've gone through this series, we've, we've mentioned several times how these prophets uh, often uh, are, They have a rhyme to them, a rhythm to them. The, the prophets often declare God's word to God's people, and they follow this pattern of talking about sin and forgiveness and restoration. And that happens over and over again and again through the prophets, these words of judgment and words of hope. Habakkuk, however, is different. This book is really unique within these 12 minor prophets. Instead of speaking God's word to God's people, Habakkuk actually comes to God with his own questions, his own struggles, his own complaints, really his own word that that he brings to God. So it's a really unique book. It really ends up taking this form of a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, a conversation between the two of them. And through this conversation, something really significant happens in Habakkuk's life. He he moves from this place at the beginning of the book, really a fear and a frustration and doubt, to a place by the end of the book of faith. He moves from questioning God's presence and his power to this place at the end of the book of joyful praise. Really, Habakkuk shows all of us what it looks like for us to hold on to faith, what it looks like for us to live by faith in in the middle of some of the hardest moments of our life. Just some structure here. The book really unfolds in in three parts. You have a a question and an answer from Habakkuk and God, and then a a second question and an answer, and then Habakkuk in chapter 3 ends by composing this psalm, this hymn to God. And so here's what, what I want to do this morning. I just want to walk through Habakkuk's story, Habakkuk's journey in these three chapters because it, it's going to show us how we become people of faith in the middle of the, facing the hardest evils, the hardest struggles, the hardest suffering that's possible. When we feel the pain and brokenness of our world, Habakkuk's going to show us what it looks like to live by faith in the middle of that stuff, right in the middle of our doubt. And so I just want to walk through this in, in three parts. I'm not going to give you all the parts. We're going to just actually walk through it. So I'm not going to title each or, or state each. You'll just see us walk through the book, walking through a question and answer, a second question and answer, and then this, this song, this psalm to end. So it's going to help you if you've got your, your Bible in front of you, if you've got your Bible app open. That's going to be huge because we're going to be looking at the text uh, quite a bit as we walk through this book. So uh, let's dive in together to the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 1. All right, here here is Habakkuk's first question. Start reading with me at chapter 1 and verse 2. Here's Habakkuk's question. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry violence to you and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. And strife and contention arise. So Habakkuk begins this book with questions. They're they're questions for God. And the ESV, at least, I think is helpful. I didn't look at the NIV, but if you have your ESV Bible, it gives a title to this section that really tells us that this isn't just questions on Habakkuk's part. This is Habakkuk's complaint. He's asking, God, where in the world are you? I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed, and yet I don't seem to see an answer. And I'm looking out in front of me at this this mess that I see every day. And God, you don't seem to give a rip about it. Like you're doing nothing about it. Have you ever asked those kind of questions? Have you ever had a kind of moment where you ask God that? Have you ever felt what Habakkuk is is feeling here? Now, what's, what's going on for Habakkuk? Well, as, as Habakkuk writes, the kingdom of Judah is actually on its last legs. If, if you've been following kind of the history of Israel through, through these prophets, you'll remember that uh, the kingdom of Israel under the rule of King David's grandson, Rehoboam, actually split into two parts, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And what started to happen is that there was just, through through reign after reign, through king after king, these two nations just were on a downward spiral of idolatry and sin and rebellion against God. Both kingdoms were, were marked by this over and over, this, this flat-out rejection often of God's rule over them. Now, there were some bright spots in there right before Habakkuk. the King Josiah kind of brings revival to the, the people of Judah. But overall, this is just a downward spiral And by Habakkuk's time, by the time this book was written, the the word of judgment that God had spoken over the northern kingdom of Israel, it was a word that we we actually saw in the books of Joel and Amos. That word had been fulfilled in the life of Israel. And the, the Assyrian armies had marched into Israel and taken its people captive and had begun to resettle the lands of Israel. And in the south, Judah is basically just barely holding on. There's this... Geopolitical drama unfolding around them as there's this triangulation of three different kingdoms, Egypt in the west and Assyria and Babylon in the the north and in the east that are pressing in on Judah. And Judah itself is, is a mess. And things for them are just continuing this downward trajectory of idolatry and sin. And Habakkuk looks at this mess that he sees around him, this mess in Judah, this mess that he's starting to feel personally as a, as a member of the people of God. He, he looks out on this society filled with injustice and rebellion against God. Look, look at his description here in verse 4. He, he looks out and he sees that the law is Paralyzed. And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. I mean, this doesn't sound like it's just a world away, right? This this sounds like it's our world that he's talking about. And Habakkuk takes all of this in, all that he's seeing around them, and he deeply laments. There's this, this deep grief that he feels. There's these, these questions, these, these doubts that are, are swirling around for him, all of which brings him into protest with God. But church, one of the things I think Habakkuk shows us is that there is a really meaningful place for this kind of deep lament in the Christian life. And quite honestly, I think in in our 2019 pop Christianity, churchy evangelical culture, we've actually lost a lot of the biblical category of lament. And we we face trials, we face challenges, we face this kind of evil in the world, and what do we do? We we try to put on a positive, shiny face, we put a, a positive spin on it, we we treat it superficially. Right, Because we, we've got to keep our Instagram feed looking right. We've got to keep our Facebook pictures looking right. And so we've got to seem like we're all put together and everything's just okay. There's not much space in our culture for lament, for looking out at the world with, with deep grief over what's happening, with deep grief over the trials that we face in our own lives. There's not a lot of space for what one writer I read this week called theology in a minor key. Right? There's not space for that in our culture. And we turn on Christian radio, whether that's Spirit 105 or K Love or whatever station we listen to. And I'm not, I'm not trying to knock these stations, I listen to them every day. But what do we get? We get uplifting, positive, encouraging radio. We get faith, fun, and family. We, there's not a lot of songs that come on our radio stations that are, are crying out "God, God, where in the world are you? I feel abandoned. I feel alone. We don't, we don't hear that. We don't hear this kind of language of doubt and despair and, and deep sorrow. Now Again, my, my point is not to, to knock any, anything out there in culture. It, it's just that, that all of us have lost this sense of deep lament. We, for a lot of us, we think that the best way, the godly way to go through trials, to go through these wrestling with God moments is just... To to put on a positive face and act out there like everything's okay when internally we're struggling. We think that the religious way is to to bury all of these things, all of these questions as deep as possible just under a, a religious veneer. And part of the reason I think the book of Habakkuk and the, the, the reason some of the Psalms are in the Bible is that they, they are letting us know that the way of faith isn't to bury these doubts. The way of faith isn't to pretend like they're not there. Instead, the way of faith in the midst of really hard things is actual honesty with God and with each other. Listen, you will not grow deeper with God unless you are brutally honest with yourself and with God and with others about the turmoil and doubt that go on inside of you. Unless you're honest about these places of doubt and despair and pain in your life, you will not experience God meeting you right in those places that you hurt. You, you, your doubts and your questions and your, your complaints to God, your frustrations with, with Him. I mean, hear, hear me when I say this. Those things, I think Habakkuk is showing, those, those, those things are actually doorways. They, they are pathways. They are invitations to us to meet God in a deeper, more real, more felt way in your life than you ever have. And so you're not doing yourself, you're not doing anyone else here in this room any favors by just pretending like they're not there. One of the reasons that we have community groups and we prioritize them so much here at Summit is that that these groups become this venue, this place of trust and dependence on one another. They become these safe places where where we're able to unpack that kind of baggage with one another and and lay it bare before each other and before God with, with safety and that brings us into a deeper place with him. So the path of faith is a path of honesty. We, we don't bury our doubts. We, we bring them to God. And the fact that Habakkuk here is, not, is actually bringing these things to God, he's not, he's not just checking out on him. It shows us something, right? Habakkuk here has not abandoned God, has he? He's, he knows that the ble- best place for him to take his doubts, the best place for him to take his questions isn't to the search bar at Google, It's not to the self-help section, to whatever spiritual guru at Barnes & Noble. The best place for him to take this wrestling that's going on inside of him is to take it to God himself. And so he runs to him. And look, God isn't rattled by his questions. God's not annoyed with him. God isn't turned off by him. God answers these questions. Look at at verse 5. Verse five, we start to see this answer. Habakkuk's asking, God, what in the world is going on? What are you doing? Where in the world are you in the midst of this mess? And here's what God answers in verse five of chapter one, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And God says to Habakkuk, hey, look and see, look out and see. Those two words in the book of Habakkuk are actually paired together over and over throughout the book. And I think that Habakkuk is trying to tell us something by using look and see over and over. He's, he's trying to make a point. He's, God is saying here that that what we need is actually a different viewpoint on things. Because God is actually up to something here that... that that for Habakkuk, he, he can't see, he can't fully comprehend from the perspective that he's looking at things with. And so if you are wrestling with God this morning, if you're wondering what it is that God's up to in your life, what he's up to in the world, if you're praying and your circumstances aren't changing and it, and it feels like God doesn't care, it feels like he's distanced himself from you, is it possible, I want you to consider for a moment, is it possible that, that he is at work in and behind and through the pain and the hardship that you feel? Is it, is it possible that he is up to something in your life that you just can't, can't understand or see or comprehend right now because of your finite human perspective? Is it possible? I remember when my oldest daughter, Ava, was about three years old. She and a friend were dancing together in our living room. And they were spinning around, holding hands together. And as they got this momentum, this, uh, this spinning, uh, what is, I don't ever remember, centrifugal or centripetal, the force that was created, Ava went flying. She nailed the top of her eye on the corner of our glass coffee table. And she split this half-inch, uh, inch-wide gash above her eye. And we, were, we were actually in China at the time, and so it was our first experience having to go to a Chinese emergency room, which was incredibly scary for her parents, but I think even scarier for Ava at the time. And so we went, and of course, she's bleeding, she's crying, she's in pain, she's scared, and she needs stitches. If any of you have had toddlers and had to get them stitches, you know that this is one of the worst experiences for a parent, right? It's, it's awful in every way, especially in a sensitive place like their face where they, they don't want that touch. You know how difficult this is. And if, if someone would have been in that hospital room and taken a snapshot of what was happening, what they would have seen in that room would have been a child screaming, a 220-pound man pinning them to the table and another man with a needle poking it into their head. And in every way, that's what Ava felt in that moment. The fear of that happening. There, there was no comprehension of anything but that pain and fear. There was no thought that anything better could have possibly come out of that situation than what she could see right in front of her at that moment. But, of course, for me, as her father, as hard as that was, and if you've gone through that as a parent, you know how incredibly hard that was. One of the hardest things of our first few years of, of being parents. As hard as that was to walk through that with my daughter, I mean, I had a different perspective, didn't I? I saw something that she didn't. I saw what was on the other side of that. Now, that, that difference was a difference in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of a 30-year-old father and a 3-year-old daughter. That difference between me and my daughter is minuscule compared with the difference in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of an infinite, all-powerful God and us as humans. And so is it possible that, that God may just have a purpose and a plan through the, the evil and the suffering of this world, the evil and the suffering that you're experiencing, that God just may have a purpose and a plan and is doing something that we're not able to fully comprehend in our finite perspective? And so God answers Habakkuk with these words, look, look and see. And no matter what you feel, Habakkuk, he's saying, I, I haven't abandoned you. I haven't left you. I haven't clocked out. I'm still working here. And I'm actually doing something that, that you aren't able to fully get. And then here's what that was for Habakkuk in his situation, in his unique moment in time. Here's what he was facing that, uh, that, that he couldn't comprehend. Verse six God says to him, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans, are, we know them better as the Babylonians. They they were this rising world power in, in uh, Habakkuk's day. Now, Assyria had dominated the world stage for a number of years, but as kingdoms usually do, Assyria started to falter. And as they lost ground, as they lost control of their kingdom, there was a, a new kingdom that started to rise. And as brutal as, if you were here last week, Ryan talked about the brutality of Assyria. As brutal as Assyria was, Babylon was equally or more brutal. Look at at the language that God describes them with here in verse 6. They march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their, their justice and dignity goes forth from themselves, which is just, a, it's an ironic way for the author of saying they're, they're a law unto themselves, essentially. And then look at this summary in, in verse 11, they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose might is their God. And this is the kingdom of Babylon. In modern categories that are more relevant to us, this, is, this might be more like ISIS or, or World War II Japan or Mao Zedong and communist China. And God says, this is who I'm raising up to deal with the mess and the sin and the injustice and the brokenness that's going on within Judah. Judah. Now, friends, can I just pause here for a second and and say what a hope it is for us to know that God is sovereign over the rise and the fall of nations and kingdoms and civilizations, that the person superintending over those things, the person overseeing all that happens is our good and gracious king, what a hope that is, especially in our day and age. And these are Daniel's words, right? It's, it's what Daniel actually ends up saying to Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of Babylon, that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever he will. Now, if the rise and fall of nations happens under, only under the oversight of this good and gracious king, how much more? The rise and fall of everything in your life. Superintended by a good and gracious God. But in light of what God answers, Habakkuk's next question makes a lot of sense. Because Habakkuk responds to, God says, hey, I'm using Babylon to judge Israel. And Habakkuk's question is probably the same question all of us would naturally, naturally ask, what, what the heck, God? What in the world, God? What are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? How, God, can you use an evil, wicked nation to accomplish your purposes in the world? How can you use evil like this? Look at verse 13. Habakkuk says to God, chapter 1 and verse 13, you are who are of purer eyes than to see evil. You can't even look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In other words, God, how can you use a nation that's even more evil than Judah is to judge Judah? God, are you just going to allow this to happen? What are you going to do about it? Habakkuk goes on in chapter 1 to use this imagery for what's going on in Babylon. He, he compares in verse 14, he compares the people of the world to fish and Babylon to this dragnet that's just marching through the world, uh, uh, gathering up the people of the world. And then in verse 17, Habakkuk asks this question, Is he Is, is Babylon, he says, then to just keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. And think on that for a moment, what he's asking. He's saying, God, what are you going to do about this? Is this, is this just going to happen into perpetuity that Babylon's just going to keep perpetrating its, its evil in this world? In a lot of ways, what, what Habakkuk is asking is, God, are you just going to let evil go on and on and on? Are you going to just let ISIS have its way? Are, are you just going to let the, the Kim Jong-uns, the dictators of the world, continue to, to, to kill their own people? God, are you just going to continue to let humans be trafficked and let genocide happen? Or are you just going to let El Paso shooters continue to go into malls and, and destroy lives? God, are you just going to continue to let cancer ravage bodies? Are you, are you just going to continue to let families break apart? Are you, are you just going to continue to let all of this happen, God, and use it for your glory and your purpose? Or are you actually going to do something about it? I mean, ultimately, God, if you're righteous and you can't look at evil, what are you going to do about this evil? That's what Habakkuk is asking. And here's God's answer. Chapter 2 and verse 2. Look at it with me. He says write the vision now of course this is poetic prophetic language that we're looking at right he says write the vision make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it for the visions for still the vision awaits its appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will not Delay. Now, question, what is this vision that God's talking about? What is it that he's pointing to that will still come, that he's asking him to wait for? Well, verses 6 to 20 of chapter 2 actually tells us what it is, to summarize those verses, is God's punishment, God's judgment on the wickedness of Babylon, This great evil of Babylon, this this very evil that God is actually using for his glory, he's using it for his purposes, that same evil he is going to judge and deal with. And this is the end of the wicked, God says, starting in in verse 6. I'm not going to read the verses here, but God walks through the evils of Babylon, essentially says all that these wicked folks have done is going to end up just coming back on their own heads. They're going to be punished for it. And so the world isn't just spinning out of my control, God says. The evil is not just running the show in this world. Actually, God declares in chapter 2 and verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In other words, church, evil isn't going to have the final word. God's going to deal with all evil and all sin and all pain and all brokenness and all suffering. He actually, God declares in chapter 2 and verse 14 that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That That's the end that's coming. But there are times, don't you think, when that feels slow in coming. And when we look at a day like yesterday with the El Paso shooter, we look at a morning like this morning with another shooting in Dayton, we look at the the struggles that we're facing on a daily basis. When we look at those things and we just, we cry out, come Lord Jesus. And there's going to be times when it it seems like this dark night is forever and that the the morning is never dawning. There are going to be times when evil will feel absolutely crushing. And so question for us is, How do we make it through? It's one thing for us to be honest. It's one thing for us to know the theology of what God's doing in the midst of that. But how do we actually make it through when the waiting gets long? Well, here's what God says, chapter 2 and verse 4. Here's God's answer. How do we make it through? Behold, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about Babylon. He's talking about the soul of the wicked person. This, this wickedness that God's going to judge. It is not upright within him. But then he says this, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. How, how do you make it through? How do you navigate the evil of this World, that there is only one way for us to do it. It is by trusting in the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God toward us. This verse, chapter 2 and verse 4, it's actually quoted three times in the New Testament. It's very central to the whole theology of the New Testament. But I, wanna, I want you to turn in your Bibles right now to just one of those places where this verse is quoted because I think it's so, so relevant for us. So turn in your Bibles, if you got them, to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look together at uh, verse 36. He, he, Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading in verse 36 here. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and, and here the author of Hebrews quotes a couple places to start in, from Isaiah, and then in a moment he's going to quote from Habakkuk, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but, and here's the quote from Habakkuk, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You know, the readers of Hebrews were were facing all kinds of challenges from without, from within. There was all kinds of hardship that they were facing. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to exhort them to endure in the faith. Keep going. Don't, don't check out on your faith. Have endurance. But he says, verse 39 to them, are not, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And what is this faith? Well, he's about to tell us, actually, in chapter 11, the great faith chapter of Hebrews, he's about to tell us what this faith looks like, but in chapter 11, verse 1, he defines it. Look at that definition with me, because it's so important for us. Faith is this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, remember God's word to Habakkuk. What did he say to Habakkuk? Look and see, look and see, look at what I'm telling you and trust in my word. This is is how we make it through, holding on by faith. And Habakkuk finally, at the end of the book in chapter 3, gets to this place of faith. He starts to show us what this faith really looks like. After this this kind of heated conversation right between Habakkuk and God, these tup- couple of questions and answers, Habakkuk gets to chapter 3 to this this beautiful hymn, this psalm really that he arrives at. And the, the whole song from chapter 3, verse 1, really builds toward this, this climactic declaration of faith that we see in, in verses 17 and 19 that, Ryan, that uh, Josh read this morning. Let me, let me just read it again, because a- a- after all this doubt, right? After all of this struggle that Habakkuk is going through, after all these questions, this is the place that Habakkuk lands. This is the place where his heart really settles, where his heart camps, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." Habakkuk looks around him at all of this trial, this evil, this hardship that's going on out there. He looks at that and he says, hey, in spite of what I see around me, in spite of the hardship and the barrenness and the emptiness, in spite of of all of the challenges, all these things that are actually closest to me, that are the, the most real felt reality in the moment that I'm in, in spite of all of that, yet I will rejoice in God Habakkuk makes this decided determination that he will find his joy in waiting on God. What what does faith look like for us in the hardest seasons of our life? Faith doesn't mean that we we pretend that things aren't hard. It doesn't mean that that we see everything with rose-colored glasses. I mean, Habakkuk in this moment is eaten up. By what he's facing. He knows the hardship of this moment, let alone the hardship that's coming down the pipe at them. He's not painting a pretty picture of it. He knows what's coming, and yet he determines to trust. He determines to rejoice. How? I mean, how does Habakkuk get from this place of protest and and doubt at the beginning of the book to this place of praise? How does he move from this place of fear and frustration to this? This settling with what God's will is for him. How does he get there? Well, I actually think that it happens through the, what, what, what he talks about in the first half of this psalm. What he writes there. You see, the majority of this psalm before from verses 1 to 16 are actually Habakkuk looking back and rehearsing in all kinds of ways the salvation that God has worked for his people. He's looking back at creation and the exodus where God saved his people and the way that God brought his people into the promised land. He's looking back at all of that, and he's rehearsing how faithful God has been to his people and God has been to him personally. Look at it with me. Chapter 3, I want to begin reading just a a couple sections starting in verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. There's this this creation type poetry going on here. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. And then he goes into the language of the Exodus before God went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. God, God went Fourth on behalf of his people. Then scan down the page with me to verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. If you know the creation account at all, you'll know that Habakkuk's alluding, he's hyperlinking us back to Genesis 3.15. God's God's promise that through the seed of Eve, he would crush the head of the serpent. He would crush wickedness. And Habakkuk says, that's what I've seen you do. You've brought your hand against the wicked. You've worked salvation for your people. Habakkuk really, in his moment in redemptive history, is reminding himself of the gospel. He's reminding himself of the good news of what God has done on his behalf. What God's done for him personally. And and as he recounts that, there's, there's this trust, there's this hope that builds up in him this trust in God's continued faithfulness. That this God who had been faithful, who had saved, would continue to be faithful in saving him. Church, how do you get from this place of frustration and fear and doubt to this place of dependence that Habakkuk finds himself in? The way that we get there is we, we turn our eyes back over and over and over and over again to the salvation the faithfulness of God that's already been demonstrated to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. How do you get there? You rehearse to yourself Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him also graciously give us all good things? Right. You remind yourself of Ephesians 1 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You remind yourself, you preach to yourself, Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. This is what faith is. Faith says, God, in light of your faithfulness, the, the faithfulness and goodness that you have proved to me, through through the giving of your son through his life and his death and his resurrection when I look at all of that, I'm going to look out at the craziness of this world. I'm going, to, I'm going to look out and stare right into the center of my fear and my unbelief and my doubt. I'm going to, I'm going to look full on at the mess that, that, that is in this world, at it's evil and it's suffering. I'm going, to, I'm going to look right at these circumstances that look like they're not going to change. And in the midst of it, without my circumstances changing, I am going to embrace trust in you. The name Habakkuk, it actually comes from the Hebrew word to embrace. And I think that's what Habakkuk is ultimately after with us. An embrace of trust in who God is. That's exactly what Habakkuk does. By faith, he grabs hold of God and he, he embraces what doesn't make sense. One, one commentator says uh, of this this place that Habakkuk arrives at, he says, this is the most beautiful spirit of submission found anywhere in Scripture. Now, I would argue that there's a place of submission, a picture of submission that's even more beautiful than that. What is it? It's Jesus in the garden, isn't it? This moment when our Savior faced the worst evil the worst injustice the worst that the world could throw at him he faced all of that and and didn't uh (laughs) wrestled with it wrestled with god in the midst of it and yet came to this place of embrace of god's goodness not my will but yours be done and friends we we can't get to this place on our own can we I mean, you can't muscle yourself toward, out of your doubt and into this place of trust. We so need the life of our Savior. We, we need His faith. We need His strength. We, we need His embrace to embrace ourselves. We, we just naturally can't on our own. And Habakkuk sees that. Look, look at where Habakkuk ends, and it's, it's where we're going to end. Just stick with me for one more minute. Look at where Habakkuk ends, verse 19. Habakkuk sees his need for the Lord to do something that he can't do. God, the Lord, is my strength, and he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now think about the picture that Habakkuk's giving here. We're, we're heading off this week to do some camping over on the east side near Leavenworth. And if any of you have ever been over onto the east side of the mountains, you've probably seen at some point uh, mountain goats or bighorn sheep up on the, the side of the cliffs, right? And they're in these incredible creatures. I mean, they just jump from cliff to cliff, just no problem. It's like they're not even afraid at all of, of falling down. And that's the picture that Habakkuk is giving here. What has God done in him? God has made him, he's saying. God's made him sure-footed. God's made him sure-footed. He, he's made him go on the heights. What, what are the heights? Well, think about it. The heights are the, the safest place from the enemy, They're this place where we have perspective on everything else that's going on around us. They're they're this place of safety where we won't be attacked. And friends, in the middle of the hardest circumstances, in the middle of this kind of wrestling, isn't that what every one of us wants? And whether you know Jesus or not this morning, I know that you want in the midst of the hardest things to have a security, to have a safety, to have a sure-footedness that you know you can't have on your own. And the only way for us to get there is to embrace Jesus and through him trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God to do all that he says he will do, to fill, fulfill all of his promises in and through the hardest circumstances. And so as we finish Habakkuk, let's come to God in, with whatever feebleness we come to him with. Let's put our arms up to him and grab hold of him. Embrace him by faith, for he is good. Let's pray, and worship team, would you come on up? Father, we thank you. We thank you that in the midst of the hardest circumstances, you are working for your glory. We can come to you with all of our doubts, with all of our questions, with all of our wrestlings, and you're not annoyed by it, you're not turned off by it, you you, uh, you don't get impatient with us, you welcome us coming to know you in deeper and deeper ways. God, would you make us a sure-footed people? Would you bring us to the heights as we experience the goodness and faithfulness of a Savior who, on our behalf, suffered all of the evil of this world, that he might one day rescue us from it? In his name we pray. Amen.